Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. If you've got your Bibles, you can go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. While you're going there, I want to thank uh, all of our leaders. We had our 2023 leadership banquet on Friday night, and it was powerful, to say the least. It was um, fun. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. And uh, again, thank all of you for your service in the work of the Lord here at the river. And, uh, and wasn't our guest speaker a blessing? What a, what a shot in the arm. Pastor Sutton spoke for us this year. And we've had some great speakers in the past, but he spoke for us this year. And uh, thank you, thank you to all of our leaders and church workers for everything you do because there's not a church without you. There is no river without you. It, it doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. And the scripture says, I'm reading from CSB, which is what it probably will be up here on the board. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I am confident that I have heard your heart. But I need your help so much that I would get out of the way and that today we would hear you instead of me. Take over. Fill me afresh and anew. Your word says to be filled and filled again, ever filled, perpetually filled. Help me to yield to you right now. Share the heart of the Father with the heart of your people. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, Uh, Let's pause there for a moment. Have you ever been to somebody's house and everything was beautiful, but it was so nice you were uncomfortable? They, They welcomed you into the formal living room, and you weren't even sure about how to sit. I had an aunt, my great aunt, She was an antiques dealer, and her home, I never knew it as a store, but she had even sold antiques from her home, and the front part of her house 
it was like an antique store. And it was, you know, uh, there were paintings and vases and decorations and all of this. And it was very uncomfortable in that area. You did not feel like kicking your shoes off and staying a while. You hear me? And everything was beautiful and some of it very expensive. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, because how many of you know that a lot of the things that we have in our homes, they're not for use. They're only for looking at. Like the guest towels. Come on. Those towels are not for you. Those towels are for the guests or just for looking at. And so you have an item that could be functional, but it, is, it isn't functional. It's just for being fancy. In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also those of wood and clay. Now, these are the ones that work. These are the ones we use, the ones that we utilize. And we know that we are houses made of clay. The Bible says that we, are, we have treasure in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessel. And the treasure that is inside of us is Christ, the hope of glory, Christ in you. Now, there are things that are honorable, things that are dishonorable. And this verse says, if anyone purifies himself from the dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. I want my life to be useful to the master. I don't simply want to be forgiven and then not do anything for Jesus. I do not want it to be that my Christian walk is that I only took the free gift that he gave to me and then not give my life as a gift back to him. Many times when we accept Jesus' free gift to us, we act as if we did something for him by accepting his gift to us. But that's not us giving. That's us receiving. I want to take that which I received and now give back to him. There are many people that have placed faith in Christ for salvation that are not doing anything with it. They're not doing anything for him in the earth. But this says, if I'm willing to be set apart from that which is dishonorable, if I am willing to make my life a living sacrifice, I can be a special instrument that is useful for God and prepared for every good work. I think it's sad. Uh, you know, many consider me a radical grace preacher, a radical grace. 
And, and many come against it. They say that easy, greasy grace, and they speak against grace. Now, I'm not going to change the gospel just because somebody out there abuses it. Come on. I'm not going to say something that's not true just because somebody's doing the wrong thing with it. So I'm going to preach this glorious gospel of grace. I am going to preach this finished work. I am going to preach that it is Jesus keeping me and not me keeping myself. I am going to preach righteousness by grace through faith, not righteousness by works. That being said, it breaks my heart when someone does abuse God's grace. It breaks my heart when somebody says, I can do that. It's covered. Might I suggest that if you really are covered, you wouldn't want to do that. You know, people have used the term once saved, always saved. But might I say, if saved, always saved. (laughs) Might I suggest you are saved if you really have been saved. But to use it as an excuse to get away with something would suggest, I'm not the judge of your heart, but would suggest that your insides were not changed. And I can tell you as sure as I'm standing here that if you got it like I got it, it will change you. Born again has really been a change in me. Born again, just like Jesus said. Born again and all because of Calvary. I'm glad, so glad that I've been born again. Born again will change you being saved will change you when Jesus moves in he kicks the old man out I die to that which I was before I am crucified with Christ and yet I live but it's not me it's Christ that lives within me and the life that I now live I live by faith in the son of God If we're willing to be purified from the dishonorable, people are trying to get away with stuff. Say, well, I can do that. I'm not under the law. Maybe you can. Why do you want to? Why do you want to do it? Just because you can get by with it. I don't want to do everything that I can get by with. I want to be the best. I am an image bearer. I was created, you were created to show the world what Jesus looks like. So if my life is not looking like Jesus, I need to make a change. Somebody say grace ain't cheap. You see, it might be free to you, but grace is not free. Somebody had to pay for it, and Jesus paid for it with his own life on the cross. I don't want to do something he had to die to pay for. Well, Jesus paid for it so I can get away with it. Don't you love the Jesus that did die to pay for it? May I I tell you that this verse I'm reading, 2 Timothy was given by our apostle of grace, Paul, after the cross, 
after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, once he had met with the Lord and received the understanding of the finished work of Christ and under grace, beyond the finished work, in the new covenant, he says, if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, and prepared for every good work. Living for the Lord and serving the Lord is beyond being saved by the Lord. Serving is different than being saved. When we are saved, we are saved to serve. We are saved to serve. Here's another one from Paul. Ephesians 2. Ephesians, one of the greatest works, pinnacling grace. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved to serve. We are saved to serve. We are not simply to be forgiven. We are to be disciples. Somebody say disciples. John 8 and 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So here are those that believed on him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When will the truth make you free? When you know it. When will you know it? When you're one of his disciples. When are you one of his disciples? When you continue in his word. You've got to reverse engineer some of these verses. Work them backwards and all of a sudden they make sense. There's a lot of people going around talking about the truth has made them free and they don't know the truth. You've got to know the truth for the truth to make you free. And you've got to be a disciple in order to know the truth. And in order to be a disciple... You've got to continue in his word. I'm watching to see how she's going to put all that together. Man, she's about the best thing in the whole world, ain't she? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Saved to serve. If you continue in my word, you are a disciple. Today we're going to talk about discipleship. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Someone who continues in the word. Someone who continues in the word. Now, if you're a note taker, I hope you got your pen ready. You ready? We're going to go to class today. Anybody want to go to Bible school today? <laughs> Rose, she gets so disgusted with me. If I ask something more than one way, yes, 
Yes, I'm ready. Yes, I want to go to Bible school. You asked three different ways. Will you preach? You have no idea what I live with. I'll do it now. Thank you. Smart Alec. What is what is a disciple? What is a disciple? A student. A disciple is simply a student. That's what the word means. So discipleship, the act and work of being a student. What does a student do? They learn. What is the root word of student? Study. They are studious. They are studious. They are being a student. That's what a student does. A student studies. I heard uh, Rose listens to a lot of wonderful Bible teachers, and I heard uh, one of them teaching the other day, and they said, they said, here is what love is, and I'll get it wrong, but I think I can capture the heart. Here's what love is, and here's what love does. Love is expressed in that you want to learn everything about them when you love somebody you want to know everything about them and so you talk to them and you ask them questions you get to know them you you want to find out how do you feel about this how do you view this which one do you like the most where do you like to go what's the reason love love finds out I know a lot of people that claim that they love Jesus, but there seems to be zero desire to know him. Their pursuit would suggest that their statement is false because love wants to know when I'm in love with you, I want to know everything about you, and I never want to quit learning about you. Uh, Rose and I have been married since 2005. We're still getting to know each other. Mar any married people in the house? Come on. But guess what? I love getting to know her. Rose and I talk more than anybody else. We sit and talk about whatever. And, talk, and, and you know, it, it's funny because we talk about knowing somebody else for a lot of years and still not knowing. I don't even know me. Come on. I'm still figuring out me half the time. I say stuff that I don't even agree with, right? <laughs> Come on. A student. A student studies. They, they go after, a, they, they choose a, a major, and they go after it to learn everything about it. And they're also, if they love it enough, they're willing to learn a lot of other stuff they don't care about because it's a requirement to learn what they do care about. Are you hearing me? A disciple. A student. Let's use the word, let's talk about the word Christian for a minute. Did you know the word Christian was a derogatory term toward believers? It was, it was a term that was used to make fun of early believers. They made fun of the way they followed this Jesus the Christ. Oh, you're a little Christian, are you? Are you a little Jesus, following Jesus around? You're following the Christ? You're learning all about him, imitating him, following him? You're a Christian. Look at the little Christians. It was derogatory. 
The word Christian literally means imitator of Christ, a follower, one who is like the one that they're following, a Christian. I think it's funny how many people are saved but maybe aren't Christians. We have used the word Christian to describe somebody that's saved. But if we want to look at definitions, that's two different things. Saved means I was willing to take the thing you paid for. Thanks. Christian means I'm following you so closely nobody can tell the difference between me and you. I'm imitating you. Could it be that some of us are saved but not Christians? I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be following. I, I don't want to just have a pass to heaven. I want to look like the one that purchased the pass. A disciple. A student. A follower. A studier. An imitator. We say, oh, I want, I'm a disciple of Christ. I want to be a disciple of Christ. Then study. Then learn, then follow, then imitate. Luke 6 and 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Isn't that great? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. I want to be just like Jesus. I want to walk like him. I want to talk like him. I want to sound like him. I want to act like him. So a disciple is somebody that looks like Jesus. I may have put a spot on your notes for this. I can't remember. A disciple is somebody that looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, goes where he goes, and does what he does. I would like to ask those of us that say we are followers of Christ, do you know where he's going? Do you know what he's doing? If I don't even know where he's going, I can't follow him. If I don't know what it is he's doing, I can't join him. John 5, 19, Jesus says this. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, which by the way, he is right now discipling. He's discipling his disciples, telling them how something works. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. Jesus, teaching the disciples how to be disciples, Jesus tells them, he says, here's what I do. I watch the Father. He says, whatever the Father does, I do that. 
Wherever he is going, I go. Whatever he is doing, I do. A disciple watches for what their teacher is doing and joins him in it. And joins him in it. Is this helping anybody today? It's real quiet in here. I guess that's good for a class, right? What is the point of discipleship? Well, let me say that humanity without God is a mess. Humanity without God is a mess. Humanity fell into sin. And sin began to destroy what God loves the most, humanity. Why does God hate sin so much? Because it threatens that which he loves the most. God didn't just pick out a few things and say, eh, we need some rules around here. Here, here's a good list. And if they don't do these, I'll kill them. No. No, God created his world and his People to operate a certain way. It, it works within order. Everything with God works within order. That which threatens the order and brings harm and destruction to humans, he hates that because it hurts you. Sin is that which destroys what God loves the most. What is the point of discipleship? Well, humanity without God is a mess. God wants to do more than save us from the guilt of the sinful condition. He wants to deliver us from being controlled by it. He wants to transform us to actually live out his best. The awesomeness that he created in the first place. So, God wants to forgive people. He wants to deliver people. And he wants to transform people. This transformation comes through our cooperation. To be around him to look at him, and to listen to him. When I cooperate with my free will to be around Jesus, to look at Jesus, and to listen to Jesus, the power of his Holy Spirit begins to transform me and change me into his very image. As we do this, we are deprogrammed. Do you remember our text? It said, if we will uh, separate from the dishonorable. Come on. So as we do this, we are deprogrammed of all the junk, and we are reprogrammed with all of his goodness. When we get saved, when we are born again, our heart has his nature but our mind needs his nurture. When you get saved, you are forgiven. 
You are on your way to heaven. You are in. You're part of the family. You are holy. You are righteous. You are whole. You are cleansed. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But this thing's got a lot of old programming. Our heart has his nature, but our mind needs his nurture. Discipleship. That is discipleship. Being a student to lose the old way of thinking and to gain the new way of thinking. One place, Paul tells us, we have the mind of Christ. In another place, Paul says, let this mind be in you. Meaning, we possess the mind of Christ, but we must yield to give him free reign. We must be, as Romans 12 and 1 said, be ye transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be ye transformed by the renewal of your mind. If I want to learn a new craft, and maybe I can assume how I think it works, when I go to the class and the master of it, the professor, the one who is skilled in it, when he says, oh, wait, it won't work that way. We do it this way. We say, oh, thank you. And we let go of that which we see is wrong, and we adopt that which we now see is right. We shun the incorrect way, and we adopt the correct way. Discipleship. Discipleship. When we are a disciple of Christ, when we are discipled into looking like, thinking like, talking like, walking like Jesus, who is already in here once we're born again, as this happens, we will begin to spread it. We become, for lack of a better term, infected. You know, you got all these diseases that are contagious. I want to be so full of Jesus that I'm contagious. I want the gospel to go viral. I want it to be that it gets on whoever I come in contact with. And then they want what I have. It begins to alter them and change their insides. As I am discipled, we will begin to spread hope. We will begin to spread this love that we have encountered. We will begin to spread the peace to others who are still being destroyed by all the confusion and the chaos. Here is the problem with immature believers. What happens is that when we encounter those who are lost, we begin to condemn them for what we just were. Yeah. 
instead of sharing with them the thing that somebody else bought for us that they don't have yet. We would rather fight with them on Facebook to prove our point than see them truly come to Jesus who can change them. You are never going to argue the stupid out of a sinner. Thank you, Pastor Vince. You, it, it doesn't work that way. When you win an argument, what did you win? You don't win anything. What you win is the blue ribbon for most time wasted with no change made. Because they still think like they think. You still think like you think. Listen, this is a spiritual battle. It is not one in the arena of logic. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It is the anointing. It is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on the gospel that bypasses logic, goes into the conscience and convicts the heart that they need Christ. Until we grow up in the faith and we meet darkness with light, we're not going to get it done. We keep trying to fight darkness with darkness. And Dr. King said that won't work. Dr. King said that darkness can never drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Until we start confronting hate with love, until we start confronting sinners with Jesus instead of with arguments, I'm so glad that we're saved, but we need to be discipled. I'm so glad that in the past 20 years, some people have started to grab hold of grace and understand forgiveness. I thank God for it. And there are a lot more that don't know it yet that need to know it. But those of us who do know something about grace, now we need to grow up in the rest of the areas so we can do something for Jesus. Amen? It doesn't happen overnight. To be a disciple requires discipline. Same word. Disciple. Disciplined. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The King James says, study to show yourself approved. In this same verse. If I want to do more than simply be saved, if I want to be a disciple, if I want to be a Christian, we are supposed to learn the word, do the word, and spread the word. Learn the word, do the word, spread the word. We are not simply called to go to church, but to be the church. This is not a spectator sport. This is not an entertainment show. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Students making students. Followers making followers. A disciple makes disciples. If a disciple, if the word disciple means student, why do so many claim to be a student of Christ but never open their textbook? If I'm a disciple of Christ, shouldn't I open my textbook? A disciple goes to class. A disciple studies their book. A disciple responds to the teacher. A disciple participates in class projects. So you're saved, but are you a student? You are saved, but are you a student? Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. So many believers that have no rest. So many believers that have no peace. Why? Jesus would say it's because you haven't learned of him. Jesus said the way to soul rest, the way to peace, is by learning of him. Learning of him. The Christian life is, we're going to put it into four points. The Christian life is to believe on him. That's your forgiveness and your salvation. That's being born again. To believe on him. It is to walk with him. So now you're supposed to be around him. You do that through the word and through the fellowship of other believers. After you've believed on him and you're walking with him, now you're supposed to do what you see and imitate him. You believe on him. You walk with him. You imitate him. And now you share him. That's the Christian life. You get saved. You build relationship with him. You act like he acts. And now you tell everybody. A disciple. A student. An imitator. Am I doing, is this good? We working here? Are we disciples? Or just church attenders? Do we just go to church or are we being the church? John 13, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love 
for one another. Now, this doesn't mean a human idea of love where it means that everything is tolerated and celebrated and we just say love is love and all this anti-God nonsense. No, real love is God-breathed and God-given and God-inspired. Real love tells the truth. Real love loves you enough to not let you die and go into eternity without him, to be eternally separated from God, the second death, to perish. Real love doesn't do that. So real love is not this fuzzy, feely thing. Real love is I treat you with love and I give you the truth. It's relational. Here's how they will know. If you have love one for another. Most of the world doesn't know we're disciples because they just see us trying to eat each other and destroy each other. People outside get the idea that churches are in competition. It's really sad that they're right. Because I'm on the same team as Pastor Eddie. And Pastor Bill. Is this still Pastor Josh? I think Josh is still there. And Pastor Josh. We could, we could all find plenty not to agree on. But guess what? Eddie Bone has given his entire life to pastoring that church and standing in that pulpit and continuing to teach the Bible. Something in there loves Jesus and loves people. So when he presents the gospel and gets saved, that's a victory for the river. Looks like First Baptist is growing. Praise the Lord. I wish that every pew would be full over here and over here and over here. There's enough people every church in the county couldn't hold them. I wish they were all full and all of us working together and taking everybody to heaven and feeding hungry people. The world has a hard time seeing that. Because we're too busy fighting over stuff that doesn't matter. Well, I think this one means this, and I think this one means this, and I think this one means this, and I think this one means this. How about this? I believe that there's one God, and his son Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, died for sin, on the third day rose again, and if you put faith in him, you're going. Let's talk about the rest when we get to heaven. But right now, let's preach the gospel. And let's love each other. That way, when the world looks, they say, I don't know what's going on, but the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Baptists and the church, everybody getting along, and they're teaming up and doing good stuff. And there's one thing they always talk about, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Can I have that thing? Can we do that one? Hallelujah. By this, they all know. The love that lives in us will cause people to see whose disciples we are. Much of the time, the watching world doesn't see anything different between those that go to church and those that don't. So they just assume that church people are fakes by observing their lives. I think it was Muhammad that said... I quite like what I see and read of the Jesus of the Bible. 
He said, and I would consider that maybe it was true, except for all the Christians I've seen. Discipleship. I love Jesus, and I want to be full of Jesus. My insides and my outsides and everything in between. I want to be wrapped up, tangled up, tied up in Jesus. I want it to be that if people encounter me, they've encountered him. And I'm not doing a great job of that. I hope I'm growing. I trust that I am. I see areas of my life that are better, or he worked on me and he broke stuff off, and then there's stuff that rises up, and I say, man, I wish that wasn't still there. I want to be a disciple of Christ. So we know what a disciple is. How does this happen? How can we take this that I'm standing up here yelling about and put it into practice? What is it? Discipleship. Here are some examples of discipleship. The act of teaching. The act of teaching. We're doing that now. Teaching not only the Bible stories, not only the moral lessons, but also teaching people the practical application, perhaps, of how to do ministry. If there was somebody who had a call to be a pastor, it would be great if they could call on a pastor that has been at it for a while. The stuff they can't teach you in a class. If they could team up and maybe hang out with that pastor day in and day out, the day-to-day. And they would see this is, uh, this is an approach you could use. Discipleship, to teach to another. Or maybe not teaching ministry, maybe teaching life in general. If a person has always lived outside of God's way of living and they get born again, They don't all of a sudden know how to live by godly principles in their everyday living. They may need an elder in the faith to teach them how to keep their household. Come on. They may need to call on some of the saints to teach them about parenting. How many times we bring people in, they realize they're a sinner, they realize they're lost, so they get Jesus But then they go home to some teenagers, and they don't know what to do. It's the job of the church to come alongside and say, we can get in and help you. Been there, done that. We know about this. We will stand with you. We will pray with you, and we'll tell you some things to try. Here's how you could handle this situation. Here's how you could do this. Discipleship. In something that is missing that used to exist in the church, and it's scripturally mandated, is the elder teaching the younger. The mature women are supposed to take the young women under their wings. And the men of faith are supposed to take the young men under their wings and teach them and raise them up. Sadly, in mo- most churches are made up all of women and no men anyway. Now, we have broken the status quo here at the river We broke the status quo on uh, men coming to church. We broke the status quo on 
tithing. In most churches, 10% of the attenders tithe. At the river, it's about 90%. Come on. Um, and so we, we, have, we have broken the mold. We are, this is a unique exception. But we're supposed to be discipling. We're supposed to be discipling those and teaching. Hallelujah. How about marriage? We should be discipled. There should be those that have been married and still married. <laughs> Teaching those that, are, that don't know how to operate in a marriage situation. A lot of married folks don't know how to be married. A lot of folks got married and nobody told them what it was. They didn't know what. Matter of fact, most people don't know what it is. It's got nothing to do with falling in love. It's got nothing to do with finding somebody that, you know, uh, oh, they're there who makes me happy. And I, I mean, it, none of that is the thing. Marriage is two people going in the same direction that God chooses that they can get more done for him together than they can apart. So their lives are joined together and supposed to be a picture the husband and the wife in their marriage is supposed to be a picture of the church's marriage to Jesus. That's what marriage is. Discipleship. Much of discipleship is giving correction and receiving it. How can we be a good disciple? I'm almost done. How can we be a good disciple? Well, the very starting place is what you're doing right now. Attending worship services with other believers where the word is being taught. We should also be good disciples by reading the word ourselves. You know, the book of Romans says that faith comes by hearing the preached word. But there are a lot of people that try to substitute preaching for Bible reading. You can never get out of my preaching what you get out of reading for yourself. And then there are people that don't go to church and say they're going to get it all reading the Bible. But that same Bible says that doesn't work either. That you need to read the written word. Uh, man should not live by faith, uh, bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4 and 4. He says you need to read the written word and you need the preached word. Preaching will never take place of reading, and reading will never take place of preaching. This is all, the whole design is set up for nobody to be alone. God created a system that you cannot do by yourself because God's entire brain revolves around family and fellowship and relationships. So God designed something that you can't do without each other. That's the whole reason for what the scripture says about church and the way we read the Bible, and the way we receive, and the way we pray, everything. God has set it up that you get this part this way, this part this way, this part this way. And we all got to get together. We've all got to get together. It's a little too peopley today. I don't think I'll go out. It's a little too peopley today. I'm glad that God never thought it was a little too peopley. Well, you know, I can't go around crowds. Cop out. Excuse. I'm not saying you don't have a hard time dealing with it. I'm saying that anything God has called, he will empower you. So you got to talk to somebody. you got to talk, talk to Dr. Audrey. Work through that thing. Come, come hang out with us. 
Praise the Lord. We should read the word ourselves. Uh, a reading plan to read the entire Bible through in a year or in six months or whatever you choose. That's a great step for being a disciple. Many of you are doing that right now. How many of you are doing the read the Bible in a year plan with the river? I've been so blessed by how many of you. I didn't know how many people would do it, and they're doing it, and it's so awesome. Uh, you don't have to wait till next year to start if you're not doing it. You can start, you know, you don't have to start in January to read the whole Bible. You can start anytime. A great disciple. To be a great disciple, you can join and be part of a Bible study. Maybe it's a word-for-word -word exposition of a particular book. Maybe you're uh, doing a study on the book of Ephesians and breaking that thing down. Or maybe it's a Bible study that focuses on an area of life where you can apply. You can learn godly principles. Or perhaps it's a study on leadership. If you're called to a particular ministry, you might do a Bible study on, on that thing that you've been called to. That would be a great way to be a disciple. A good disciple could meet with a group to discuss the word, to testify to each other, to pray with each other. This is what the early church did. They broke bread daily in each other's houses, and it says, and they also went to the temple. So they didn't simply go to the weekly service, but then they got together to talk and fellowship, to have fun, to enjoy, to testify. So meeting with a group. Or maybe set up a time with someone mature in the faith, maybe a, a pastor or an elder in the faith that you know to ask any questions that you have. If you have questions, don't just let them sit in there. Write them down and go after the answer to those questions. By pursuing the information we need and the people that have the information, maybe they're living in that information, we're being a good disciple. We can learn by watching, by asking questions, and by being around the right way of doing it. One of the greatest ways you can be a disciple is to be around the right way of doing it. Find somebody that's doing it right and attach yourself. Be a parasite. Come on. Get, go, go with them. Uh, many of you know Jonathan Bond, the gospel music singer that comes here every year. But he is, which by the way, he'll be here in a couple months. He is so much more than a gospel singer. He lives in a constant flow of the miraculous, the way God uses him in people's lives. And I told him last time he was here, I said, would you ever let me just like go with you? Just ride in your car for like two weeks. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll just ride along. Just, yeah, come on. So I would love to do that sometime. I would love to. I guess I'm not a good disciple because here I'm still talking about it. And I ain't done. I'm not in Jonathan Bond's car. Anyway, yeah, I'm not a very good parasite, which could be good. <laughs> but attach yourself. Find somebody doing, the, doing it the right way and get around them and soak it up. Absorb it. Model yourself after it. A good disciple. So Rose taught me something last night. I've had to rewrite this message about four times as the Lord kept speaking to me. And last night he was speaking through Rose. Biblically, I saved the best for last. You ready for this? Biblically, real discipleship, and I should say even within Jewish culture and the way it was, discipleship was always done 
on the move. It was always done on the move. This is what I mean. Jesus did not set up a classroom for the disciples to come for him to tell them how they would do it. Jesus just kept doing it and said, come on. He invited the disciples to join him and be there with him while it was going on. He included them. You might say that real discipleship is on-the-job training. You jump in with the, those that have mastered it. You jump in with the master, and you go to work, and you learn as you go. One of the most special things about our discipleship with the Lord is this, and you have to understand this. This is so powerful. I learned this from my lovely wife as well. Jewish rabbis, they had disciples. There were disciples that wanted to learn from these Jewish rabbis. And some of these rabbis were maybe in particularly highly esteemed. There might be a particular rabbi that you hoped that you would be a disciple of that rabbi. And you pursued, you pursued the rabbi that you wanted to train under. The rabbi did not pick the disciples. That rabbi was not interested in picking disciples. If you want what he's got, you'll have to come after him. But Jesus, the greatest, said, you have not chosen me. But I have chosen you. Jesus picked his own disciples and he picked you. The God of glory, God incarnate, Jesus. Jesus chose you. Our rabbi handpicked us. Do you realize we don't have much to offer? In one regard, you know what I'm saying? Humanity has run against God, rebelled against God, made themselves an enemy of God. God said, I'll go after the ones that don't want me, and I will love them into pursuing me. I will be good to them and turn them. I will bless them into their heart. My goodness will lead them to repentance. And our faithful rabbi and high priest, Jesus Christ, the sin savior, the Jews Messiah, the savior of the world, the water walker, the deaf ear opener, the dead raiser, said, I go after you. And he picked you, the least we could do is be discipled by the one that picked us, by the one that picked us. Hallelujah. So while we should definitely pursue and seek out information in those that have it around us, we have something that other discipleship situations don't have. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. The teacher that chose us 
lives inside of us. <laughs> so we definitely need to take advantage of people that are here in the flesh around us that can help. But we need to pay attention to those gut checks of the teacher on the inside and learn everything we can. Discipleship. Has this blessed anybody today? Singers, musicians, would you come? Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Our heart is to see you grow. Our heart is to see you built up and encouraged in the things of the Lord. Our heart is to see you walk in victory. We want you to have victory. We want you to be standing in authority over all the things that Jesus paid for us to be in authority over and keep the devil where he belongs, under our feet. And that doesn't come by praying a prayer of forgiveness one time and now everything's fixed. No, it comes through faithful, committed, dedicated, devoted discipleship. Discipleship. Would you stand with me? Praise the Lord. So today, we have talked to those who are born again, but that we want to be better disciples, and that's me. But perhaps, perhaps there's someone here that is not born again. Perhaps there is someone here that has never received Jesus as Savior. Friend, there is only one way to be forgiven. There is only one way to eternal life. All roads do not lead to God. All roads do not lead to heaven. All the gods that are worshipped in the, in the world... All the gods that are named are not God. People say, well, it's all God no matter what you call him. You call him Jesus. We call him Allah. No. No, Allah is not the same God. Allah is a demon spirit posing as God, and he's a liar. Jesus Christ is God alone. Only Jesus. There is one name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Buddha did not know the true God. Muhammad did not know the true God. The Hare Krishnas did not know the true God. Do not. There's one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He alone is creator of heaven and earth. And nobody else came to die for you. Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, left heaven and came to earth and died a sinner's death bled on the cross of Calvary in your place. And three days later, he got up again, and he's alive. 
And nobody else ever did that. God loves you no matter who you are. God loves every Muslim. God loves every Buddhist. God loves every human being. From everywhere on the earth. Loves us all the same. God does not love you more than he loves somebody else. God loves everyone. And he's not willing that any should perish. So he calls. He said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all to me. And he draws every human being. He's given you a conscience to know right from wrong. He's given you the measure of faith you need by which to believe on him. If you're here today, I don't know why I feel so strong this way today, but man, it's really on me. If you are here today and you have never renounced everything else and said, God, you are God alone and your son Jesus Christ died for me. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you have never accepted his forgiveness, if you've never been born again, grandpa being a preacher will not get you into heaven. Being a church member won't get you into heaven. You can't get to the gates and tell them you went to the river. That doesn't get it. You got to know Jesus. You have to have accepted Jesus. So if you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity. I want to invite you to come right now and stand with me. I would love the honor. You don't need me to save you. But I would love the honor of praying with you as you put faith in what Jesus did at the cross. And I will say that in the scripture, every person Jesus called, he called publicly. Well, my faith is a private matter. Then you got the wrong faith. Because this one that I've been talking about is not private. It's public. Everyone Jesus called, he called publicly. He said, if you deny me before men, I deny you before the Father. He said, but if you profess me before men, I profess you before the Father. Salvation is a public decision. It's a public decision. Rose was talking a couple of days ago about, you know, uh, a church building in a church sanctuary. Really, it's patterned after the temple and the tabernacle. The outer courts, the inner courts, the holy of holies, you know. We say this is the altar. We don't actually have an altar. This is just the front of the room. <laughs> Come on. The, alt the altar was the cross. But we use that term. And the presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. And people would purify themselves and come nearer. Rose said, I just think it's neat. She said, I know it's not a requirement for salvation. She said, but I just think it's neat that in our churches that we call people forward. Symbolically, when you walk down this aisle, it is you saying, I want to move away from what's further from God and move to what... I know it's not happening in the literal. Don't, don't go and post that somewhere that I have to deal with the critics. It, it's, a, it's a picture. It's just so neat to say, yeah, symbolically, 
I would like to walk away from the outside and I'd like to walk to where Jesus is. I would love the honor of praying that prayer with you since we're all here together. That's what I'm saying. Now, if you're at home, if you're not in this building, Jesus wants to save you right where you're at. And as we pray this prayer here, you can pray it where you're at. And if you do, we want to hear about it. We want you to message us and say, I made that decision today. So friend, if that's you, would you step out from where you are? And would you come and stand? Would you allow me the honor of leading you in that prayer as you place faith in what Jesus did at the cross? You say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to receive Jesus. <laughs> Would there be anybody else? Would there be anybody else? Come right now. Don't wait. I've been praying for this since November. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even know you. I just met you. And I've been praying for this since November. And with all of you, we've been praying. Hallelujah. As I, as, as I have this great honor of praying with our friend Tons, those of you at home, you can pray this prayer after me. Everyone out loud. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you love me. Jesus, I know you died for me. And I know you got up from the dead. I know you're alive. I know you want to live in me. I renounce everyone but you. Forgive me my sin. Wash me with your blood. And fill me with your spirit. I offer you my life. Help me to live for you. And right now, I am forgiven. I am saved. I am born again. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>